You're listening to the Nerds Welcome Podcast. I'm Luke. I'm Jolie. And I always thought archaeologists were funny little men always searching for their mommies. Mummies. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back, everybody, to the Nerds Welcome Podcast. This is episode 11. We're in double digits now. We're in double digits. We were in double digits last time. Look but, at us. But look at us. Look at who, us. Who would have thought? Who would have <laughs> thought? Not me. I mean, I gotta say, looking back at our catalog of our first 10 episodes, it definitely has been so much fun to be able to talk about this wide variety of movies. And I know that we have a bajillion other films that we want to talk about, but we love Indiana Jones so much that we thought, well, we started with Indy with episode one, and now 10 episodes later, let's do Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. We are joined today by Harold the Pumpkin. The first pumpkin, <laughs> the first pumpkin that I bought of the season, and I'm very excited about him. He's very small and he's very cute, and he's sitting right here on one end of the table. And we're also joined by Augustus, my cat, who is laying on the other chair. Yes, he's sitting quietly. Harold the pumpkin is our first unofficial guest, but we Want to say something to people, Harold. No, okay. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Ooh, I'm excited. This is your favorite of the series of the Indiana Jones franchise. This is Jolie's favorite installment. Yes. And knowing from when you told us that you first got into Indiana Jones, when you were at the ripe old age of nine, um, what made you personally fall in love with Temple of Doom the most? Well, the thing is when I was younger, I was terrified of Temple of Doom. It was not naturally. Yeah. Yeah. Naturally. (laughs) It wasn't my favorite. It was far from my favorite, actually, when I first watched it as a kid. But as I got older, I sort of, I don't know. I don't know if it's because I ended up getting more into, like, spooky things as I got older. Um, but that's been more recent. It, I just, upon rewatching them, I realized, I was like, I feel like this one is just the most fun. You know? Like, they have, I feel like this one is, when it comes to Raiders, I feel like that one was slightly more slow-paced than Temple, because maybe the action scenes were more, like, spaced out, whereas Temple was, like, kind of calm in the big or No, it was pretty busy in the beginning. Very busy. Then it had a little bit of a chill period, like, during the dinner scene, and then it just got crazy and crazy, 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 you know, like, and it just was nonstop. Yeah, it's, like, the last, like, like, the last hour of this movie, like, the the first chunk of it is very, like, action-packed and kooky shenanigans and spooky stuff, but then once you get to the Kali Temple and everything that follows after that it's like you're on an adrenaline ride it's like you're going through emotional things you're going through like anxiety with the with the uh with indy getting possessed and then the the minecart chase and then the the rope bridge and that's a thing like i feel like cinematically the minecart chase and the rope bridge are some of my favorite scenes in all cinema it's just so cool like the concept and the way it's executed like it's so it's great. And and the characters are so diverse. You know, you get, like, this main cast of characters that are so different from each other. And that makes it even more fun. 
It definitely borrows very heavily from uh, Empire Strikes Back because George Lucas went into this movie with the intention of let's make a darker Indiana Jones film because because Empire was so successful. And they thought, well, that was the darker middle chapter of our Star Wars trilogy. And if we want to do something different and not copy Raiders of the Lost Ark for the second installment, let's go completely out in left field and darker in tone. Well, the and for Star Wars, they weren't expecting it to be a series, and I don't know if they were expecting it for indie, but they certainly had ideas for further ones because they well, had yeah. So from- if we, yes. So as we said in episode ten, Star Wars was originally made not with the intention of this grand epic series of movies or the trilogy that it eventually evolved into. But when George Lucas pitched Indiana Jones to Steven Spielberg, which we talked about in episode one. In Hawaii. In Hawaii, on the beaches of Hawaii, he said, if you're going to direct this first movie, I want you to direct the trilogy because I have ideas for three movies. And Spielberg said, after Raiders was finished, I went back to George and I was like, what are we doing for the second? He's like, I don't know. What do you want to do? And so let's start off as we usually do. So Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom directed by Steven Spielberg with a screenplay by Willard uh, Huck and Gloria Katz, story by George Lucas, music by John Williams. The film uh, stars Harrison Ford reprising his role as Indiana Jones, Kate Capshaw as Willie Scott, Amrish Peru as Mula Ram, uh, Jonathan Key Kwan as Short Round, and Roshan Seth as Charter Law. The movie was released on May the 23rd, 1984, making $333 million at the worldwide box office. And for reasons that we will discuss later, this was the very first movie to ever receive the PG-13 rating from the MPAA, which is the Motion Picture Association of America. So Jolie, let's run the recap on Temple of Doom. Okay, so we start out the film with Indy in... Shanghai. Shanghai. In 1935. Yes, so this takes place one year before Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Luke, yes. for reminding me. No um, so, which I didn't know until, like, a few years ago. Yes. It's one of those details that if you don't, if you're not looking for it, you will miss it. That you realize that this is actually a prequel to Raiders. Yeah, and so we start out in Shanghai, and Indy is at a dance club or yeah, somewhere like, some sort of party he's like at a, he's at the he's at club obi-wan in yeah. shanghai which <laughs> yeah. is a nightclub yeah um he is there to make a trade with lao Zhe, who is a mobster mobster gang member or something they're doing a trade um for an artifact for a very rare diamond yeah yeah and and so this trade ends up happening, but then kind of goes south when Indy is poisoned unintentionally, well, not unintentionally, un- unknowingly by him. Yes. He, he gets poisoned, and a huge, I mean, to summarize it, a huge sort of debacle happens where Willie's looking for the diamond, and then, like, Indy's, like, about to die because he's being poisoned, and then everybody's shooting each other up, and, like... Yeah, and we forgot to mention, so our... Our new leading lady for the movie is Willie Scott, who is a nightclub singer who walks over to Lao Shea at his table right at the moment that they're going to do the trade. And Indy grabs her, sticks a fork in her side, and he's like, put the gun away, Sonny. Let's make this trade. And then after Indy gets poisoned, Willie gets roped into all of this. The 
club breaks into pandemonium. The antidote goes flying onto the dance floor, as does the diamond. And then one of Lao Shea's sons shows up with a machine gun and starts shooting at Indy, who cuts a giant gong with the Paramount logo on it, and him and Willie <laughs> run out. It has the Paramount logo on it? It does. It dissolves into the Paramount logo with the mountain on oh it. Oh, my gosh. It's so clever. Because um, every indie movie uh, has the Paramount mountain turn into something. But So they're hiding behind this. If they're getting bullet shot at them. They crash out of the window. They fall four stories, bouncing off awnings. And they land, conveniently, in a car driven by Indy's 12-year-old sidekick, Short Round. <laughs> wow, holy smoke. Crash landing. Short Round, step on it. <laughs> holy smokes, there's a kid driving the car. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love him so much. Short Round is the most adorable, mm -hmm. you know, troublemaker ever. And so they take off into the streets of Shanghai, um, followed closely by Lao Jie and his men. Big car chase happens. Um, they end up making it to the plane place an airport airport <laughs> what is wrong with me i don't know you say things like ship shares and plane place and i'm like honey <laughs> but then again i have my moments of stupidity there's too, words so. for these julie yeah, there are words for <laughs> what is going on as i was saying it i was like there's a word for it but i'm just gonna say plane place it just slipped out anyway <laughs> good lord moving on um so they make it to the airport and and he's like, yeah, we escaped. Nice try, Laoge. And then he shuts the door. And then the Laoge symbol is on the door. So it's like, okay, well, you're going into your... You're yeah, you literally, you try to get away from your enemy, and the enemy owns that plane. Congratulations. You played yourself. <laughs> so Laoge makes a, a signal to the pilots, and they take off for... Some destination they're they're traveling across. Uh, Where are they going? Willie says it a few times. They're going to Delhi. Delhi, yeah. Yeah, I think because they were trying to get out of uh, Shanghai. But what ends up happening is that the pilots um, decide to <laughs> peace out. They grab their parachutes. They dump the fuel and they jump out of the plane while Indy, Willie, and Short Round are sleeping on the plane. And Willie wakes up first and. Oh my, oh, my oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. And then upon seeing that the pilots are in fact gone, Indy grabs an uh, inflatable raft and him, Willie, and Short Round jump out of the plane minutes before it crashes into one of the Himalayas and just explodes. They, they go sliding down this... They go down the mountain. First, they they slide it down with snow and then dirt and gravel, and then they end up in the water. That wasn't so bad, was it? So our trio end up um, washing up on the, the shore of a small Indian village because they've landed in India. Um, which is right next to China. Yeah, they and end up in this small Indian town, and they find out something sinister is happening within this town upon getting there. And the chief or the leader of the town is explaining to him in that... The, the village is called Mayapur, mm -hmm. and it's essentially their sacred rock, which is a Shankara stone, which Indy knows all about because he's an archaeologist. Three of them, yeah. There's... Well, there's multiple. Yeah. We end up finding out later that there's five. But only one of them but, belongs to the but village. But only one of them belongs to the village. Okay. And it was taken. And Indy, initially, he asked the villagers, like, can you get me passage to Delhi? 
And they say, absolutely, we can do that. But the the chief of the village says, but while you're going there, you have to stock at Pancot. And he's like, I thought Pancot Palace had been deserted since the 100 years ago. And they're like, no, there's a new Maharaja that's taken over the palace and something dark and sinister is happening. And one night there was a fire in the village and the men went out to go fight the fire. And when they came back, the Shankara stone was gone and so were all of the children. They were abducted. And so Indy immediately realizes that he... Gotta do something. He's gotta do something about that. Time to suit up. Um, so he agrees to go looking for the stone or investigate. You know? He's gonna investigate. Because um, also there's there's a scene where there's one of the children ends up escaping. And goes and bumps into Indy before he ends up getting picked up by his mother. And he has a piece of fabric that has... A clue. Um, a clue that has a um, shit. It's a it's 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 Kali. I think no. It's it's one of the Indian or Hindu goddesses. It's a clue. It's a clue. Anyway, I'm I'm trying to be too detail oriented. So instead of <laughs> instead of an Uber, they hop on elephants and they start traveling through the jungle. <laughs> Uber elephant edition. Uber. <laughs> Two stars. Yes. Um, Especially after it yeets Willie off of it and she falls into a pond. And she's like, I was happy in Shanghai. I'm a singer. I can lose my voice. She's so good. I love her. Um, but yeah, so they end up making it to Pankot Palace. And is it Pankot or Pankok? It's Pankot. Okay, that's my thought. Pankot. They end up there and... They sort of have a meeting with the Maharaja and all of them. They have a big dinner, which is a complete, like, crazy huh? mess of a bunch of wild foods. And oh, my God. It's disgusting to watch. Is it there that the Maharaja explains? What because Indy brings up um, the the village, brings up the rumors that the Thuggy have come back, which were a extremist Kali cult that believed in voodoo and dark magic and... and um, human sacrifices and the the advisor to the maharaja which is chartala is deeply offended that indy would bring this up but the maharaja who's like 12 um says that he know, he's heard the rumors of the thuggy and he promises that under his reign that they'll never rise again and obviously indy's like i'm sorry if i insulted you okay you 10 year old he's literally like 12 it's ridiculous that's the maharaja a kid maybe he like Older women. <laughs> then we get one of my favorite scenes in the movie where... <laughs> the one where they like almost hook up, but they don't. The one where Indy and Willie almost hook up. He brings her actual food to eat. And he... She's like, I'm going to be... Uh, he's like, what are you wearing to bed? And, and she's like, oh, just my jewelry and nothing else. That and sounds it... uncomfortable. <laughs> like, realistically? Yeah, just wearing like a diamond necklace around your neck. But they have this like flirty will they won't they hook up kind of they kind of scene. have like a stubborn like argument based on it and they end up sort of like separating into different rooms and while they're like waiting for each other to show up to their respective rooms Indy gets attacked by an assassin an assassin in his room short round helps him body him and then Indy books it over to Willie's 
place because he's afraid that she's in danger too, but there's no one there. But he ends up investigating and finding a secret doorway that goes into some sort of cave system within the palace. Yeah, there's he and he finds the the, the clue with the, the Hindu god on it matches on the wall. So he's like, short round, get our stuff. We're going. We're going to investigate. And they go into these these catacombs underneath the palace and it's covered in bugs. Like there's, there's corpses. Yes. But bugs everywhere. There's corpses of people, but more importantly, there's bugs. Bugs. (laughs) So many bugs. And then poor Indian short round end up getting locked in a, a booby trap room with spikes coming from both the ceiling and the floor so he's screaming for Willie. They have to rely on Willie, of all people, to come rescue them. So she puts on her, she's like, she's got satin pajamas. She's got like a, a, a robe on and slippers. And she grabs a, an oil lantern and just starts walking in there. And she gets covered in bugs. She's freaking out. And she sees the corpses. And she's like, there are two dead people down here. There are going to be two like, dead people in here. <laughs> so she makes it to the 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 door where they're stuck on the other side of the room and he's like there's got to be a handle or something to to undo the booby trap and he's like put your hand through there and so she's slowly putting it through and it's covered in bugs and he puts his face up to this hole and it's the best moment ever we are going to die and so right before they get um sandwiched in between the spikes willie pulls the lever it undoes the booby trap all for a good of three seconds, because yeah. as soon as she gets in, she bumps it and then restarts the whole thing over. But they escape this time. So we get out of the booby trap room. And what do we discover? But there is a ceremony happening at this big, giant cult meeting. They're and having they're... a kumbaya in this <laughs> cave. <laughs> the thuggy cult ceremony are, are going to do a human sacrifice. And... Every Tuesday. <laughs> Every Tuesday. And it and they Mula Ram, who is this very like statuesque villain with these like horns on his head, he recites this chant and he pulls this poor victim's heart out and it's he's holding it in his hand that's still beating, and they lower him down this pit of lava or fire or something, and he burns and his heart that he's holding catches on fire and it They like him well done. <laughs> That's the second time you made that joke in two episodes. I have to when someone gets toasted. Like, it's just, I'm sorry. Go on. So, obviously, Willie and Indy and Short Run are watching this from above. And then Indy sees that they have the Shankara Stones. They've got three of them, actually. And when they're put together, they start glowing. And they have this luminous power about them. And Indy... Once all of them leave, once their Tuesday meeting is over, uh, they disperse. And the PTA meeting. <laughs> <on> Tuesday. <laughs> so once the <laughs> once the PTA cult meeting is over, they leave, and Indy's like, "I have to go down there and get those stones." And as he's going down there to get the stone, we're going way off track I'm at sorry. this point. As he goes down to get the stones, he suddenly starts hearing screaming from further deeper in the cave so he goes looking for them Willie and Short Round get kidnapped and then Indy discovers all of the children from the local village and probably more are enslaved enslaved underneath the catacombs of the palace 
looking for the re- the other two remaining Shankara stones. But Indiana, forgive me, a rather stupid attempt to throw and yeet a rock at one of the guards. He gets kidnapped. Um, More like captured. Yeah, he gets captured. Short Round is also captured. Willie's nowhere to be seen at this point. Mm-hmm. And then... Where the heck did she go? That's when we meet Mula Ram, like, fully in person. And he has Indy and Short Round. They end up having a... <laughs> Parent-teacher meeting. <laughs> they end up... <laughs> I can't with you! Where did this come from? I don't know. Stop it. They end up having a meeting with just Short Round and Indy, and they have Indy chained up, well, both of them chained up, and they are going to make Indy drink the blood of... The Kali. The Kali, which possesses you. It makes you fall into the the black sleep of death, mm-hmm. which is... Like, living in a nightmare, basically. Yeah. And so, at first, Indy spits it out, but then and Short Round tries to, like, save him, but then they both end up getting punished. And that's probably one of the darkest scene in the movie, when they whip both him and Short Round. Oh, that was... I didn't... The first time watching this movie, I did not realize that they were going to go that dark, and they actually changed Short Round, and they started whipping him. Yeah. And he was like, leave him alone, you bastard! So I'm just like, don't do this to Short Round! He's a child! Yeah, that's awful. So Indy gets uh, possessed, um, which is horrifying. Short Round gets thrown in the cave with the other enslaved children, and then who just so happens to be the human sacrifice for the four o'clock meeting? Lucky Willie Scott, everybody. Yep. She, <laughs> Come on down. They've cut, they've dolled her up in a ceremonial outfit and they're going to plunge her down and kill her. But thankfully, Short Round, who is truly the goat of this movie. He really is. Like we, we always pick out who is the goat of every film and Short Round is the goat of Temple. Mm-hmm. He ends up... One man army. He ends up getting away from the the wranglers that are that have all the children enslaved and he grabs all of their stuff and he goes up to where the the ceremony's happening and he tries to snap Indy out of it as they're lowering Willie down into the fire pit and upon grabbing a torch he burns Indy Indy and, I love you <laughs> and burns the the black sleep out of him just with the touch of fire and Indy snaps out of it just need a little sun and uh, they end up, yeah, they end up uh, fighting uh, the the bad guys and everything. Mularam escapes. Ch- Charterlaw gets crushed. Willie gets saved, thankfully. She doesn't get toasted. She, yeah, she's knocked out cold, and she not cold. She's knocked out hot. She's knocked out hot. And then, in probably the most over the top sound effect, she slaps him. But it's like a classic punching noise. It sounds like. When she hits him. And, and it's her... like the most weak, like... Yeah, and she she looks like she's just ragdolling yeah. the whole thing. Um, so Willie is saved. They end up... She's like, we gotta get out of here. And Indy goes, you're right. All of us. And so, <laughs> the classic hero line. So he... Or they all head to the caverns and the caves to rescue all the children. They end up freeing them. But then Indy ends up getting into a big fight with... A very large man. A again. very large man. Um, one of the large guards, and that fight goes on for a while, and Indy is losing um, because the Maharaja is there, and he likes some uh, some voodoo dolls, and yes. so he has one of Indy and is like He's stabbing him, stabbing him in the back, and so Short Round has to intervene and help Indy. Short Round takes down the Maharaja, and Indy eventually finally takes down the big guy, 
and who gets flattened like a pancake. Yep, pancake. <laughs> yep, mm-hmm. flattened. And so they end up narrowly escaping the caverns after they escape the big guy and they release all the children. Um, but they are closely followed by some people in a minecart chase. Yeah. So the Maharaja tells them if you're going to get out, take the left tunnel. They get in the minecart. And of course, Indy doesn't listen to Short Run or misses direction, and they go. The literally the left tunnel is light and blue, and the right tunnel is red and says danger on it. Yes. And they literally go down the right, no, the left. which is the wrong tunnel. Yeah. <laughs> and the minecar chase ensues. Um, Short Round gets uh, like stretched and pulled between oh, two God. cars. The brakes end up getting broken. And Indy has to stop it with his shoes, which catch on fire. And in order to get, in order to kill them, Mularam breaks this giant cauldron of water that's been like, I don't know, like a hundred gallons or something and just floods the cave. So they have to escape the cave when it's flooding and they have to get through it like before the water hits them. And then they end up on the outside of the cave on a cliffside and the water's coming out and then they have to escape the cliffside. So they get out of the cliffside. Um, and then Indy and is off on one side. Willie and Short Round get separated from him. They end up on top of a rope bridge. A very long rope bridge that's very high up over a... River of alligators. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so Willie's like, nah. No. <laughs> and so they end up making it across, um, and Indy eventually gets there after being pursued by more of the Kali. Yeah, more of the thuggies. And when Willie gets across, who's standing there? Ah! But Mullah Ram, who Who's is, instant and, transported. I don't know how he got there. I don't know how the hell he got out of the, the cave that flooded. But he did, and Indy threatens to throw the Shankara stones into the river. Mularam forces Willie in short round to go onto the bridge, and with his giant machete that he has, he decides to cut the bridge. It instantly snaps in half, and the whole thing, the, there are thuggy guards that fall. Indy, short round, Willie, and Mularam are clinging onto this as it hangs off the side of a cliff, and... Willie and Short Round make it up. Mularam and Indy fight. He almost gets his heart ripped out when, cover your heart! Oh my god! And he's, his fingers are going towards him and everything. The most, even besides the heart, the heart being almost ripped out, the other most, like, unrealistic part is when um, Short Round and Willie manage to step on his hands and he falls, but he, like, lands on Indy and he doesn't they don't fall like Indy like catches him in a way and it's like poof, like like you feel the impact and stuff and I'm like y'all both would be dead yeah it's it, it was it's a weird scene but it's, it's, it's also a crazy like, you're scene. like biting your nails the whole time Indy ends up because him and Mularam are struggling for the stones inside uh, Indy's uh leather satchel and he ends up uh uh, invoking the name of Shiva, which is the the god that he disrespected with, um, because Shiva and Kali were two opposing deities in in Hindu culture, and so he invokes the the words of Shiva, and the stones catch on fire. Two of them plummet. Mularam catches one and burns his hand. He yeets it into the air. Indy grabs it, and Mularam plummets to his death, getting eaten by the the alligators down in the river. The British Army show up. <laughs> out of in the wise no... words of Willie Scott, well, it's about well, time. Well, it's about time! And then 
They make it back to the village where Here's life... rock. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> where life has come back to the village. All the children are back. Indy returns the sacred stone. And him, he offers Willie um, a trip to, to Delhi and off on another adventure. And she's like, I'm going back to... <laughs> I'm going back to America where they never feed you snakes or dip you in hot lava or, or try to rip your heart out. And in a classic um, ending, Indy grabs the whip and he whips her around by the waist and he's about to kiss her. Wouldn't that hurt? Oh, that would definitely hurt. Yeah. Like a bullet like, getting... What the frick is the matter with you? Jeez. Yeah. But Short Round's elephant splashes them with some water and then the closing shot is Indy and Willie finally sharing a kiss together. And... That's how the movie ends. <laughs> I would say that this, I, I think you're right. This movie is more action-packed than Raiders. I think that this film, it, I think that the, the slowest portion for me is, um. When they're in the pink hot. Well, I would say even, um, as soon as they get out of the, like the, after the, the plane crashes and after the river raft gets them to the Indian village, I would say that, the whole Indian village sequence and then going to Pankot. I do love the campfire sequence, which does happen in between, but it's, it's more of a, like you start off on a high adventure and then it slows down. You get some story, you get some exposition, you get some backstory to the, the lore of what this mythological thing is going to be about for this movie. And then once you end up, once the assassin scene happens and then the catacombs, the booby trap, the temple, and everything that follows, it's like you're on a roller coaster that's not stopping. Mm -hmm. And if it does stop in a few moments, like when Indy gets possessed in that one scene, which is terrifying, and the the whole, like, poor Willie bobbing up and down and everything in the pit. But, yeah, this movie's very, very action-packed. Very action-packed, a lot darker than Lush. the other one the Raiders, which they intended for, but they said we were watching a behind the scenes documentary and they said they think that it got darker and darker as they went on, you know, yes. like they made it unintentionally, like as dark as it got, it was unintentionally dark, but yeah. So know. let's, let's go back a little bit. So after the success of Raiders, as we said, Spielberg went to George and said, what have you got for the second movie? And he's like, well, I don't, and George Lucas said, I don't want the Nazis to be the villains again. So why don't we set the movie a year earlier and in a different part of the world altogether? And because inspired by James Bond, as we said in uh, the Raiders episode, George Lucas liked the idea of having a different female character being the love interest for Indy in each of the movies. And so that's why Marion didn't come back. And while they were in collaboration with this movie, they did um, they did bring back Lawrence Kasdan, who had written the screenplay for Raiders. But as they were developing the movie and George was like, I want it to be about black magic and we can do like the dark Indian thuggy cult and there and once the idea of like child slavery was brought into it and like possession and everything and Lawrence Kasdan was like, I don't like the direction this movie is going. So he pieced out and he left. Sounds like and, you're doing too much, Steven. And so George brought on the two director, the two screenwriters who did 
American Graffiti with him, which was the movie before Star Wars. And both of them latched onto this. Fun fact, so we forgot to mention, Indiana is the name of George Lucas's dog. And so that's where the character name came from. Willie was the name of Steven Spielberg's dog. And Short Round was the name of the screenwriter's dog. (laughs) So all three of our main characters in Temple are named after house pets. That's so wholesome. Which is adorable. Um, Now I just need a Disney Plus animated series of them as dogs. (laughs) That would be hysterical. You ever watch Balto? Yes. Oh my goodness. Um, But Uh, I would have killed to see Marion in Temple. That would have been so... The stakes would be a lot higher. Much. Well, that's a stretch to say, but... You know, he loves Marion. Well, yes. Yeah. I mean, and and I think that it's interesting the way that, because now that we know that the chronology of these movies, it goes Temple, and then a year later it goes Raiders, it's like, now my question is, what happened to Willie? Like, she must have gone back to the States or something, um, going back to Missouri, where she's originally from, and then we meet up with Marion in Nepal, and, uh, the, sorry... Our neighbor's dog is barking. And yeah, because I know, I mean, I knew that George wanted a different female lead for each indie movie, but I also know that Mary, that uh, Marion, Karen Allen herself was involved with a TV series at the time. So she was tied up with that. And they auditioned more than 120 actresses for the role of Willie Scott. They were like, we want to go in a completely different direction than Marion. We want to go with someone that is the the opposite of her and so much so that kate capshaw when she did get the part she's a natural brunette george and steven said we want you to dye your hair blonde like marion was the brunette you should be the blonde and going in such a different direction from the character we get this nightclub singer who lives a very glamorous life in shanghai she's american but she lives in shanghai where she works and then she just gets roped in to all of this. Because if you notice, Marion is the one who says after the tavern burns down, she's like, "You, I'm your GD partner. Like, I'm going to be on this journey with you until I get my $5,000 back. Willie's like, I didn't sign up for any of this. Willie did not sign up for this. She did not. And what I think is really incredible is that I, we'll, we'll talk about characters when we get to that section of the, of the episode, of this episode. But I do find it so interesting the way that Marion obviously has a fabulous character. Like she's such like a, a bottled character that's so well in terms of how she's introduced. And Marion doesn't have like the biggest arc. She goes on the journey with Indy and she obviously develops a rapport with him and a, and a new uh, love for him again because they were estranged for 10 years. But Willie, I think she goes from this very vain, spoiled a little too stereotypical, like damsel in distress to being someone who is, she's punching bad guys and she is running around and she's like, doesn't care what her hair looks like by the end of the movie. And she's, and fabulous and climbing up bridges for her life and everything. And, and this is the movie that Steven Spielberg met Kit Capshaw and they ended up getting married. Yes. Uh, A couple years later. And he, he said, I was I was fated to make Temple of Doom because I make, met Kate Capshaw and they've been married since 1991, which I think is Goals. amazing. And you said that they auditioned over 6,000 kids for Short Round. Yes, they were going to 
elementary schools and having open call auditions, they wanted to find the perfect actor for Short Round. And originally the idea was that Short Round, and one of the initial ideas was going to be a girl, but they exnayed that idea and decided to go with a young boy. Because they thought it was weird to have like a little girl running around with a grown man, yeah? Exactly. Um, and they're like, we already, and besides, we already are going to have a female character with the love interests. It would be odd to have a small little girl running around with Indy. So Short Round was created as a character and they obviously wanted him to be of East Asian descent. So they went to every place they could find looking for the right actor to fit that persona. And, um, Key, who, his name is Jonathan Key Kwan, but he was, uh, they referred to as Key. Key. Uh, he auditioned with his brother for the movie. Well, he didn't even audition, I don't think, did he? Or did he? No, he, he went in with his brother because they were at his elementary school. So him and his brother were both brought into audition, but Key, during his brother's audition, wouldn't stop telling stories. And they were like, who is that kid? Like, maybe we, like, that's the one. And when he was brought in to test with Harrison, he was like, oh, this one's special. Like, this one is perfect for the part. And he, he is perfect. And he's and he said that he grew up watching Jackie Chan movies. And they had an actual martial arts artist on the set of the movie. So for all the fight sequences, he got to train, which was incredible. And, like, even though, like, it's funny sometimes to watch it. But we talked about in Raiders that the fight sequences can get a little bit cartoonish. Watching... T- short round kicking like guards in the stomach even though he's half their size like, and, they, oh, and like, they fall down and it's like oh my gosh it's incapacitated. like it adds to the the fun and the humor of the of the movie um they shot in sri lanka for the um for the sequences in india and the multi-thousand dollar dress that Willie Scott wore in the nightclub sequence, which was entirely made of beading dating back to the 20s and 30s. So it was period accurate in terms of its uh, design. The whole thing was made by hand by Anthony Powell uh, at Barbara Mattel in New York. And originally the plan was they were going to shoot that sequence at the beginning of the film schedule, but it got pushed all the way to the end of the shoot. So in the sequence at the campfire where Willie has her dress like tied up in a, in a string, but she's sitting at the campfire, the elephant on set started to eat the dress and ate the back out of it completely. So the reason why her back is exposed in the dress is because the elephant ate that portion and they had to stitch it back together. The dressmaker was flown first class to London to fix the dress. And when Anthony Powell said I had to fill out the insurance form for why the dress was damaged, he said, eaten by elephants. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same energy as like my dog ate my homework. <laughs> Literally. Oh my gosh. Um, this is, okay, this is going to get gross. But so when they were in the writer's room spitting spitballing ideas like what's worse than snakes if we had snakes and raiders what can we do to top snakes and someone steven says i can't remember who said it but someone said bugs and so the the sound stages that they built the catacombs on were in london and they had thirty thousand bugs imported for those sequences and steven said every day that we would come back to set 
there was like 20% of them were missing and they had escaped into the streets of London. These exotic bugs oh were everywhere. Like we're talking cockroaches and centipedes and giant like praying mantises and poor Kate Capshaw. First off, let me backtrack a little bit. She, when in the sequence where she falls off of the elephant and lands in the puddle in the pond, there was supposed to be a snake that popped up out of that, but that was cut because she turned white as a sheet when she touched it. And Stephen's like, it's out of the movie. And he's like, but if I cut this scene, you're going to have to do the bugs. And she's like, what bugs? And he's like, didn't you read the script? And she's like, no, I didn't read it all the way through. <laughs> and so when they got to the set, she was asking around. She's like, does anybody have anything I can take to calm myself down? And someone's like, I've got Valium. And so <laughs> she took it. And when she showed up, she was like, hi. And Stephen's like, we're going to do the bug scene. Okay. <laughs> Where are they going to be coming from? We're going to dump a bucket on your head. Okay. And she was <laughs> zonked out. But she's still freaked out. Oh, completely. She was able to at least do the scene without completely like dropping dead of uh, anxiety. But... I would take snakes any day over bugs. Really? Yes. Snakes oh. don't scare me at all. Really? Yeah. Oh my god. Bugs it's... though, I can't. I can't do. There was a spider in here earlier and I was like <sighs> I was in the bathroom last night and there was a pincher bug that walked towards my foot and I had to grab toilet paper and squish it. Um but I don't know. It's like if you compare the four indie movies, it's got you've got snakes, bugs, rats, and then those freaking red ants. Big damn ants. Big damn ants. If I had to pick which one I would have to deal with I'd have to say the rats because at least like rats carry diseases. Though. I know that they carry diseases, but there's something about bugs that are just too much for me to deal with. And I couldn't deal with snakes, snakes. Like, no, that's my biggest phobia. Like snakes are the last thing I would want to deal with. If I had to pick something, I would pick the rats because mine I would either be the rats or the snakes. <sighs> Maybe the snakes. I can't believe you're not afraid of snakes. I'm petrified <laughs> of them. They're kind of cool. I like them, but Centipedes are poisonous. Oh, yeah. I hate centipedes. Yeah. I grew up, centipedes would be around, like, hiding in places in our house and stuff, since we lived in the mountains, you know, mm. in Timbuktu. <laughs> and we would find centipedes, scorpions, Scorp and we found a few scorpions in our pool, and we found a few tarantulas in our day there as well. Spiders, I that would be the last thing I would do. I can't do spiders at all. Um, I'm like Ron Weasley. Um... Yeah, it's, and um, and also, the we we talked about this, but when they made when they were developing the script for Raiders, there were sequences in that movie that had to be cut because the movie was so jam packed with action sequences, and the two that re got recycled in Temple of Doom were the river scene with the with the blow up boat. And the minecar chase, that got repurposed in Temple of Doom. And honestly, I think that the minecar chase scene is one of my favorite action set pieces of the whole franchise. That's so cool. It was a mix of both miniatures and them going down like one track where they just changed the lighting to make it look different. Because it was so uh, claustrophobic and when they built it on the soundstage, they just re-shot them in a circle, but they would alter the lighting. And guess where they got the sound effects from for the actual minecar? Ooh, you told me this, and I was like, whoa. The the um, 
the post-production team got to go to Disneyland after hours and ride the roller coasters and they put microphones up against the wheels and the brakes to and and recorded them for the minecar scene and they stitched them together and it's brilliant now when, next time we go to disneyland we're gonna be listening like where are the brakes where are the wheels it's probably matterhorn oh probably matterhorn when did big thunder mountain release um that's a good question let me find out i don't know i think that was a t- later but oh 1979 so that was actually before indy okay so they might have ridden that one too mm-hmm. For the sake of it. Um, okay, so we were watching behind the scenes, and we were watching how the bridge that they filmed at was real. It was a real, like, bridge that was super long and, like, 100 feet, 150 feet in the air or something. Yes, 150 feet in the air. Over this huge cavern, and according to Stephen, it was the safest bridge in the world. Like, nothing could go wrong on the bridge. It was really safe, but... Be- because they had engineers that were in Sri Lanka that had built a dam, and they brought them over, and they were like, can you build us a suspension bridge over there? So it was super safe, but everybody was so scared to Well, go not everybody. It, except... Stephen was the one who was the most scared. Yeah, Stephen, he's like, I could go in... Like, 40 feet in on both sides, but once you got to the point of no return, I couldn't do it. Steven has a terrible fear of heights, according to that behind-the-scenes documentary we found, we watched. And Harrison was like, eh, it's no big deal. And he would just sprint across the bridge, and Steven was like, stop! <laughs> like, you know, just terrified the whole time. And so a lot, of the, uh, a lot of the camera shots, at least from him, are from... Further out, I guess. Further back, and, yeah. and the ones that could brave going out there a little bit further. And they had one shot to do the rope splitting in half and falling. And they did it successfully in one shot. Thank God. They had eight cameras pointed at it from every angle. And they had built it in where the middle suspension would pop. And then the whole thing would fall in two. And they had dummies with... Um, electronic mechanisms inside of them to flail their arms and legs as they plummeted and when they detonated it it blew it broke and it was perfect one shot that they could only do it in luckily because they couldn't re reset it without going through the whole thing all over again so good it's so good it's i wonder how long it took to film the scene where they were hanging they were holding onto the bridge and it was like that like weird that fight scene you know that happens the end well thankfully that was done in uh in london on Honestly, little yeah. pieces the, and they had wires on, on and harnesses to be able to hold on but the the actual breaking of the bridge was actually shot and they <laughs> uh they didn't actually there weren't crocodiles that were down there at the bottom of the river so they shot that sequence in florida of course <laughs> yes yeah, some people just go to florida shoot some alligators that was it yes they they were like the movie was shot on four con- on three different continents. We shot it in Asia, England, and America, and it's and specifically Florida. Specifically, just specifically Florida. <laughs> so Florida's its own world. Okay, so when the film was in uh, post production and they were stitching it together and they were editing it, they were not given an R rating. But Steven Spielberg knew that this movie was too dark for a PG PG rating. Because back then, before Temple, it was G, PG, and R. And it was because of a combination of Gremlins a couple years before being released with a PG rating, but that movie was way too dark for children, 
parents were taking their children out of the theater because it was too scary. So Stephen called one of his friends at the MPAA and said, there should be a rating in between PG and R. And that's what we should get for our movie. He's like, we could call it PG-14 or PG-13. They're like, we'll do it. And so... The power of Steven Spielberg. It was put the PG-13 rating. And I got to tell you, this movie was very mixed upon its initial release from both critics and audiences. Not nearly as well received as Raiders was uh, three years before. So... Audience is probably like, yeah, another Indiana Jones film. This is going to be great. It's going to be a great time. And they go in and they come out like Scarred for Life. Yes. <laughs> like, so well. let's let's talk about that. Let's talk about how the, the, the main three problems that people had with this movie are they hated Willie Scott. They thought that the movie was um, culturally appropriation in terms of the racist depiction of East Indians. And it was way too dark. And while I definitely think that the depiction of the Indian culture, the, the Hindu uh, theology and everything, and also that whole dinner sequence, like Hindus are notoriously vegetarian. They don't <laughs> eat live snakes or beetles like, or monkey brains. They don't eat shit like that. It's like the screenwriters were like, we want to come up with a dinner with the most disgusting things you can think of. And everybody was like, we don't eat stuff like that. Like, that's not a thing. <laughs> but that scene, I mean, other than the dialogue between India and the Maharaja and them, like, could easily be cut. Yes. But you need the, you need, you need that conversation. You need the conversation for the exposition. But the actual, like, the, the way that the whole thing is played for humor, it's like, snake surprise. What's the surprise? Live eels come out of it. The eyeballs that come out of the soup. The monkey brains that are chilled, that are for dessert. It's like those, that is just completely inappropriate. And obviously the... But it's comedic effect. I mean, it does, it, it like, it adds to the, the goofiness that the indie movies are notorious for having. Because that was one of the problems when they were editing it. It's like, we need, or when they were making the movie, they were like, we need more levity because the film is really dark. Like human sacrifices and child slavery and all of this black magic is like really weighing the movie down. So why don't we add some funnier moments? And it's like, that's why one of the, the, the big uh, guards yeets a sledgehammer and bonks one of them on the head and there's a comedic thunk. Um, the dinner sequence is funny in quotations if you look at it from certain angles, but um the, the bickering love scene that happens between Willie and Indy is funny. Also, speaking of um, the big guy in the, the cave, oh, no. we forgot to mention Harrison's injury. Oh, that yeah. Happened. I thought you were going to talk about that. Oh, I found out something very unfortunate. So, first of all, I, as we were rewatching this movie, I was watching it and I was like, oh my gosh, this is like the, the, big, the big guard guy who he fights towards the end of the movie um, before they before they escape, like, enters the movie in the exact same way as the big guy he fights in Raiders. Like, he ducks and comes out of the cave, you know? And so does the guy in Raiders. He ducks out of the tent, and he, like, shows up, and he's like, and then he ends up fighting him. Luke told me that it's the same actor, but... In brown face. In brown face. With a beard and a turban on his head. It is the exact same actor as the as the Nazi mechanic that gets chopped to bits with the... Propeller. Propeller. 
is the same guy that plays the thuggy guard that gets squished by the giant rolling thing. And choose your fighter. Don't choose your fighter. Don't choose your fighter. <laughs> don't, don't, do choose, don't, don't, don't. don't do that. So, um, but speaking of Harrison's injury, which we forgot to mention. So in the sequence in Indy's bedroom, when the assassin is attacking him, he takes the, the assassin and he throws him over his shoulder and Harrison uh, rep, uh, herniated a disc in his back and it was incredibly painful. He, he said that he couldn't get out of bed for 45 minutes uh, out of his hotel room. It was so painful. And uh, Stephen, uh, George Lucas flew out and he was like, if we have to shut the movie down, we'll shut it down. But we're going to get him back to the States where he can get operated on. So in the meantime, Spielberg shot the opening production number, Anything Goes, in Mandarin with all of the tap dancers. And then in the cave on the conveyor belt with the thuggy guard, that is Harrison's stunt double in all of the wide shots. And then Harrison got his surgery and then physical therapy after that. And then as soon as he was back on set, Steven just plugged him in for all the close-ups and that was it. So when you watch the scene on the conveyor belt, anytime that you don't see Harrison's face is his body double mm -hmm. that they were able to work around with. Really well done. Very well done. You don't even notice that he's missing from that sequence. Steven's that big brain director. He's the same one that realized, well, if my shark is sunk to the bottom of the ocean, I'll use the camera as the shark's POV. <laughs> he was the same one who told Tom Hiddleston the age thing, remember, when he was in War Horse? Oh. There's a, there's a great, it was an interview we watched um, with Tom Hiddleston where he was talking about working with Steven during War Horse, and it was where he they were riding into battle. In a, and the camera was going to go from his the back of his head, and it was going to turn in a, in a one take and then go close up on his face. And he's like, how old is your character? And Tom's like, 30-something. 30 30 something. He's like, so when it starts at the side of you, you're 30 years old, but as it zooms in on your face... You turn to like 10 years old. Yeah. He's like, you're 30, you're 30, you're 30. And once it's on your face, you're 10 years old. And you watch Tom's face change. And it's like, that's the brilliance of Steven Spielberg. So good. And he's for, and I, and I will say this, because obviously as with hindsight, he has said that he doesn't like the darker nature of the movie, but he does appreciate what it was as a film in his lexicon and his filmography and his history, it's sentimental value because he met his wife. And speaking of that, let's go back to one of the things that people complained about, which I don't agree with, Willie Scott. No, she's not going to be a carbon copy of Marion. Marion Ravenwood was a badass feminist character. Willie accidentally happened her way into this. She got roped into this. She never wanted to go on this epic adventure and wouldn't you react the same way if you were getting shot at falling off of a mountain snakes are around you especially bugs are around you especially if you're used to a life of luxury, luxury and, and stuff like that yeah. and yeah they're meant to be totally different characters what do you love most about willie or what are some of your favorite elements about her character I love her expressiveness, you know, and that has a lot to do, obviously, with Kate Capshaw's portrayal, like you're talking about the dress toss and like, just like the, you know, like, she's just really good at her line deliveries and the physical aspect of things. And 
she has a lot of humor that comes with her because it's like she is the complete opposite from Marion and she and I think I and the rest of the fandom and stuff should appreciate that more because that's what her character is meant to be and she does it really really well one of my favorite moments with Willie and you it's 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 all visual in terms of the way that it's handled but when they get out of the the raft and they're walking towards the Indian village short round keeps grabbing for Willie's hand like some like an adult to hold on to cuz he's scared and Willie keeps swatting his hand away at the beginning of the movie later in the film she is like mama bear and she grabs him she holds him back when he wants to go after and help Indy when they end up on one side of when the water goes through she grabs his hand and pulls him with him with her and she stays right by his side through the rest of the movie and it's like this like very spoiled vain woman who came from a very specific life grows and she grows a lot it's not a a huge arc and she obviously wants to go back she's like i'm gonna go back to missouri where they never do this stuff to you but it's like she's she went on a huge adventure and she came out the other side alive and a completely changed person as a result of that and she punched the guy in the mind that's great that's my favorite when and i love when when indy's fighting and she's standing there like (laughs) yeah and she's mimicking his punches like short round would do that was that's amazing um and I know that uh, Kate Capshaw has has said this because um, when we were watching the documentary, she said that when the movie came out, there were feminists that completely bashed this character. And to that, I say that I think that that's unfair. The screaming definitely, like she's admitted, the screaming could have been toned down a little bit. But in terms of this character being thrown into a situation that she's never experienced before, and like I said, coming out the other side as a changed woman... I think that that's kind of remarkable because when you look at Marion, Willie, and we will talk about Elsa when we do Last Crusade, all three of these women are completely different. They're not, they're not cookie cutter exact copies. They're not all damsels in distress, but they all represent something that is reflective of the story. What were you going to say? I was going to say, I think we agreed on them all being a part of different Hogwarts houses. Yes. Okay. So I think we had Indian Gryffindor. We had Indian Gryffindor. Marion in Ravenclaw. Ravenclaw. Willie is clearly a Hufflepuff. Mm-hmm. And Elsa uh, Schneider is Slytherin. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Amazing. What um, I know we fell out of doing this uh, for some of our previous episodes, but I miss doing it. So if Indy's a Gryffindor and Willie's a Hufflepuff, where would you put Short Round? Oh, either Gryffindor or Hufflepuff. I want to say Hufflepuff because he's so loyal mm-hmm. to Indy, you know? And, but also Gryffindor, because he's not afraid of, like, you know, he, he's ready to go, and he always wants to save Indy and stuff. I gotta save Indy and stuff, <laughs> you know? It's, like, that's a hard one. It is. I want to talk about the fact that, I mean, your boy here loves musicals. I love musical theater. I am a diehard musical theater fanatic. I will never understand why this movie opens with an over-the-top musical production number with 50 extras in tap shoes. <laughs> it doesn't... Like, I love Anything Goes. It's one of my favorite classic movie musicals. But it's so out of nowhere, the fact that this opens with a production number. And I did so much research. 
I could not find one reason why George Lucas said we're doing it opening with a musical. He just said, I want to open the movie with a musical number. And it's like, why? I think, I think you have to accept that it was just a, why not? Why not? We're, we're doing Anything Goes in Mandarin and we have... Which is really fa- impressive. A, which is very impressive. And then we have a fantasy sequence with all of these tap dancers and that's how the movie opens. And, and people were sitting down to watch in theaters like... Are, are we did, in the right theater? Are we in the theater? right theater? <laughs> did, are, did we mix up our tickets? No. <laughs> um, what else? Was there anything? Oh, the, the moment that you talked about in Raiders where the the sequence in the market where the, the bad guy has the sword and Indy just pulls out the gun. The two thuggy guards show up and synchronized in motion with their swords. And Indy reaches for his gun and his holster's empty. And he's like, oh, he does that classic side smile. And like, <laughs> I love that. Can we talk about how hot Harrison Ford looks in this movie? Like, Harrison Ford was so handsome, mm-hmm. obviously. But he's a he, lot more shirtless scenes in this movie. And he knew that going into the film. And he got he swole. Did, he got swole and he looks phenomenal so good i mean the fact that he's running around with like only like one sleeve on basically i know i'm like just (laughs) just take the sleeve off off. it's like your half of your shirt's gone you might as well just get rid of the other half the bridge scene is one of my favorites for a number of reasons like i was saying earlier but i really love harrison's performance on that bridge because you really get the sense that this is the final the final fight and like the stakes are super high like what can he do to get out of this and stuff? He only has one last resort, which is breaking the bridge. How is that going to work? Is he going to survive? Are any of them going to survive, you know? And you could see that in his performance because he's holding he's holding a sword in one hand and he's holding the bag with the rocks in the other and his all his muscles are so tense, you know? And he's like, I'll draw the stars! You know, he's like screaming and stuff. Like, he's so good. Yes. And, ooh, man. And the way that... And he's got cuts all over his body from the... The, the fighting and the, the whips and everything that have been attacked with him. Oh, yeah, he got whipped on his back, so he has the and he's got, slashes. Yeah, slash marks over there. And it's one of my... F- it's probably... That bridge sequence is probably my favorite. I mean, I love the minecart scene, obviously, but the bridge sequence is so excellent. And I love the way that he realizes there's only one way out of this. And so it's it's like I love the brilliance of how Short Round is the only one that he can talk to at that moment. So he goes, he speaks to him in either Mandarin or Chinese. I don't know exactly. I do think it's silly though, because he is, he has the sword and he has it on the side of the rope bridge for a good, like minute, three minutes, probably while these yeah. people are closing in on him. And then he goes and raises it and then bashes it. And they're like, Oh no, he's talking to that whole, that dialogue exchange is brilliant. And when shorty, Gra- like ties the ropes around his hand and he goes come on lady we go for a ride <laughs> and she's like oh my god and oh it's my god. Oh my god. prepare to meet Kali in hell and it just completely and breaks it and Willie screaming Willie Rom's like what are you doing <laughs> it's like, he was in his 40s when he made this movie was he, he I thought he was in his like late 30s and then in Last Crusade he was in his 40s Let's see. Because he did look a little bit older in Raiders. I mean, not Raiders. Uh, Last Crusade. Born in 1942. And the movie was made in 1983. That means that we have Harrison at 41 years old when he shot Temple of Doom. Oh, I Have I ever told you that my biggest, one of my biggest fears is hearing 
that Harrison Ford. I, I don't want to say it. No, 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 no. <laughs> There's because whenever, because you know how we text each other whenever something big happens in like Hollywood, and we see like Luke, Jolie, I'm like, yes. <laughs> I literally yeah. hold my breath every yes. time that happens. Because I mean, of this. It's, it happens. Like people post gifts and memes about it, but every time that like Betty White is trending or like. Uh, uh, Morgan Freeman is trending. Like there is a list of actors that I will be the first to admit. Like if, like I openly sobbed when Debbie Reynolds passed away because I grew up watching Singing in the Rain and uh, the unsinkable Molly Brown and those classic. I was, I think I was stunned, shocked when Carrie Fisher passed away. And obviously there have been actors that have passed on, but no, Harrison, I mean, he's, He's not like ancient. I mean, he's seventy. He's seventy nine, but still, uh, still, still a part time archaeologist. Apparently, I know. I know. Um, and, oh my goodness, the Luke and I both were obsessed with the Lego game. We didn't even know each other back then, but like, we were like, we play the Lego Indiana Jones game. Yes, and I, Temple was always the the hardest for me to get through, um, because there were so many like hidden passageways and everything. The lava would. You you made one misstep and the lava would instantly kill you. Like, I, I will say this. Because um, now we've talked about two of the four Indiana Jones movies. And while I did say that Last Crusade is my favorite, I, I love Raiders for what it was in terms of starting up this uh, trilogy. And I do really appreciate Temple of Doom. But Temple is one of those movies where, because I think of the darkness and it's a little bit heavier in terms of that tone it's not like you can put on temple in the background and just like casually listen to it and watch it in that regard i think that crusade you can do that a little bit more because it's a little bit more comedic um and raiders too but i i do really appreciate this movie and i i think it's i think the the criticism that it's the bad Indiana Jones movie because it's too dark, that's saying that Empire Strikes Back is the bad movie of Star Wars because it's too dark. But that one's your... Wait, no, you actually, you change. You... I flip back and forth between Return of the Jedi and Empire Strikes Back. Um, but going off of what you were saying, there is something about Temple of Doom that ropes you in every time. Pun not intended because of the real bridge. But, like, we were watching this while I was trying to do homework and I barely got anything done because I was so invested in it. I'm like, I've seen this movie probably over 30 times and yet I still, it has the power to take in my focus and like, I'm just fascinated by it every time we watch it. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's the case for all of the indie movies, but I don't know. There's something about temple where like, you know, stare, I'm doing a face right now where I'm staring at the screen, but (laughs) like it's yeah, man, it's yeah. I think the, because they wanted to go for something that was not a copy of Raiders. They did not want to mimic the success of the first movie. They wanted to go in a different direction. I think when you look at it from that angle, you can appreciate just how dark the the movie did get. Obviously, the 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 controversy regarding the cultural depictions is not ideal, but still the these movies are are meant to be emulating a very, like, what am I trying to say here? The thing about the Indiana Jones movies that I think make it work so successfully is that I think Harrison's performance in every movie, even in uh, Crystal Skull, 
He brings something to this character that makes you want to follow on his journey. He's surrounded by supporting characters that you either like fall in madly in love with or you're along on their journey with them or you're laughing along with the shenanigans that happen. And they're so like different and diverse. Yes. I will say I I if there's one thing that I will say in terms of a criticism, this is completely minor, but I I will say I think that Mularam comes off as the weakest of all the Disney uh, Disney indie villains because he's not the main threat throughout the entire movie. Like Belloc and the Nazis are, Donovan and the Nazis are, and Irina and the Russians are in their respective films. Yeah, Temple is like kind of like a mix of a bunch of different people. Yeah, it's like you don't like you get the notion that oh, there's something sinister happening, but then when you get down into the the Temple, a good hour into the movie then you're hit with the villain and personally had i been the screenwriter i would have had charter law which was the advisor to the um maharaja the Mm -hmm. one with the glasses yeah i would have had him be in Ram's shoes be like the one where you're like oh my god that was that guy and he's like got the horns and everything and he's all he was there but he he was there but he's not the main villain and i think but that's all he was. He was just there. He was just there. And he was all decked out and everything, as was the Maharaja. For that Tuesday PTA meeting. Again with that joke. It's... <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so overall, Temple of Doom is a madcap... Oh, wait, what? I was going to say, I mean, and in addition, like, even though it's considered as, like, the bad Indiana Jones movie, I would say appreciate that each one is very different from each other. Absolutely. And has such unique scenes for what they are, and I think that is to be really appreciated. Everybody hates King and the Crystal Skull, but Luke and I love it. I told everybody, like I told you in the first episode, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is what got me into Indiana Jones, so don't shame that movie. And it was it was my indie movie going experience because I was a small child, um, so that was pretty cool. But and of course, yeah, there's over the top scenes in that movie, but I I love it for what it is, man. Yes, and and each individual movie definitely they have something unique about each of them in terms of the artistry, the action pieces. Like if if like the Boulder sequence is the iconic. Uh, piece of raiders then the minecart chase is the iconic thing that happens in temple and the the scene with the tank is the iconic thing that happens in last crusade and and of course the there's so many crazy wacky things that happen in crystal skull but we got the ants we got the the, the ants, car in the water and the water going down the waterfalls yes and the the temple crumbling as all of the the interdimensional beings are coming back to life. We'll talk about Crystal Skull in a couple of uh, months when we do that episode. And of course, we will... I mean, Jolie and I love Indiana Jones. We will be sitting there in a movie theater next year when they release Indy 5, and we're going to see that movie. <laughs> so you hear some like, oh, you <laughs> Be nice! You know I love him so I much. I know, I know. So, overall, th- of course... We love this movie. Fabulous film. Darker, but very good. Incredibly well made. Top to bottom. And just go watch Temple of Doom. If you haven't seen it in a while, I recommend a rewatch. And knowing all of the behind the scenes shenanigans that you know, I always appreciate that going into a movie knowing what's behind the scenes. Definitely would make it lighter. 
Because yes, you have to be in a certain mood to watch this movie. You sit you down do, and you're like, whoa. You do have to be in a certain mood to watch this movie, unlike the other three. But it's an adventure nonetheless. Mm-hmm. And I think, I, I'm, I'm going to close this out. I think that Temple of Doom has the biggest influence on the Indiana Jones ride itself. Like of all of the indie movies, I think that Temple of Doom had the biggest influence on the Indiana Jones and the Temple of the Forbidden Eye. Like, I really love when you, on the ride, when you turn into it for the first time and after you go through the beginning of like, you looked into my eyes, you know, like, and you turn into the ride and you see the temple and then you see the car in front of you go on the bridge you know, and like the music is playing, he's like, dun, dun, yes. you know, and I, every time like I see the car go on the bridge, I'm like, oh, it's perfect timing. And the then car goes over the bridge, the flame is in the eye. Yeah. It's, oh. It's so good. It's so good. I, I recently went to um, Disneyland with my boyfriend and he had never seen Indiana Jones, nor had he been on the ride. So I showed him Raiders and Temple before we went and then we went on Indiana Jones and it was completely thrilling. Like, it was the best birthday present for him ever to go to Disneyland. And he'd never been on it. And he was screaming the whole time. I love you, baby. But it was epic. Um, so, with that being said, we're wrapping up episode 11 of the Nerds Welcome podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Luke. I'm Julie. And you've been listening to the Nerds Welcome podcast. All nerds are welcome here. Give your local elephants a rating on Uber. <laughs> Probably won't be the best. And uh, don't go wandering into catacombs with a bunch of bugs. Yeah, that's uh, that's not ideal. Maybe there's still some living in London. Ew. Good luck, UK. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night. <laughs> Hello, listeners. We wanted to take this opportunity to let you know that we'll be taking a brief hiatus from the podcast. With obligations that we both have to work and school taking precedent in our lives at the moment, we'll be taking just a short break, and we have every intention of returning in mid-December. While we're away, we also will be working on some improvements to the podcast, such as sound quality, a brand new logo design, some new theme music, and more. Follow us on our Instagram, at NerdsWelcomePod, and Twitter, at NerdsWelcome, for updates. We thank you all for listening, and we look forward to returning in just a few months. Bye! Stay tuned!